0: All right. Get your Bibles open. Mark chapter 2. We're continuing this fun series called Remarkable, Seeing the Glory of Christ Through the Eyes of Mark. And uh, I want to ask you a question this morning. I'm sure none of you can relate. But have any of you ever felt like you tried doing something good, but you were completely misunderstood and even hated for doing something good? And then you get shocked, like, I'm a nice person. Why are people hating me? Have any of you had a little mini pity party? I've had a pity party. Like sometimes I'm like, people don't know me. I'm, I'm lovable. I'm kind. I'm gentle. I'm care. Why are some of you laughing when I said some of those things? All right. All right. Here's the truth. On our best day, we might be those things, but on our worst day, we're not. And so sometimes what comes our way is because we deserve it. But let me ask you this question. If Jesus were running for president, hey, wouldn't that be cool? How Jesus for president, and his, and his campaign slogan was, Drain the Swamp. Now, how I many of you know draining the swamp is a good thing? Because draining the swamp means there's corruption all throughout our leadership on both sides of the aisle, and draining the swamp would mean bringing an exposure to sin, raising a standard of righteousness, caring for the poor and the oppressed, how many of you know Jesus? That, was, that would all be good? And we sang about Jesus this morning, about his goodness. How many of you are grateful for the goodness of God? In fact, the default for God, the core of all of his attributes, is that God is good. There is no evil in him. There is no fault in him. The default of his heart towards you is a heart of goodness. Now, don't make it selfish or make it all about you. Sometimes when we sing that song that uh, he'll never let us down, uh, understand that means he's never going to let us down in the fulfillment of his grander purposes for our life. It's not about him, you know, being Santa Claus in your life. That's not the purpose of that. I always get a little nervous when we sing that. But it means that if God before you, who can be against you? It means that God has done everything possible to make our salvation and everything that comes with it secure in Christ and that is great news. So imagine Jesus going around and I love Luke's summary of Jesus' ministry and it's in Acts 10:38. He says God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Now, let me just ask you a question. If your whole life centered around doing good and setting broken, oppressed people free, how could you not win everybody's popularity contest? It doesn't say Jesus went around robbing banks and raping and pillaging. No, it doesn't say that. He went around doing good and healing people. Who could have a problem with him? It's a great question, isn't it? This is what's amazing. We're only one chapter into Mark's gospel, one chapter, and they're already plotting on how to kill Jesus. Now, this should tell us something. You know, let me just say this. This is an antidote for any pastor who's tempted to compromise convictions to be liked. Jesus said, if you'll follow me, here's a refrigerator promise for you, they'll hate you like they hated me. Put that one on your refrigerator right next to all things work together for good, all right? Put that one up there. Put it up there. Count it all joy when people despise you and think evil things about you and take your good intentions and twist them and and malign you and, and throw your name in the trash. Count it all joy, church! because it's actually a sign that you're resembling Jesus. And if we're only two chapters into Mark, and they're already trying to kill Jesus, how many of you want to take up your cross and follow him? (laughs) I mean, this is the real part of the gospel. Like, this isn't an invitation to a cakewalk. So I want you to take a look with me, and we're going to try to answer three questions today from Mark chapter 2. Why would someone like Jesus face such strong opposition? When did it occur? What were the the occasions of this opposition? And who was behind it? So we're going to look at three different instances in Mark's gospel, chapter 2, where Jesus was actually hated for simply trying to help people. The first one is one that we've all preached on and heard before. It's an amazing account. It's the story where they literally ripped the roof off to drop their paralyzed friend down so that he could fall into the presence of Jesus and Jesus could heal him. Take a look with me. Follow along. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. People were excited. Jesus is back in town. And so look at verse 2. The whole house where Jesus was staying was so packed with visitors, there was no more room. Could you imagine your house literally having people in every room? People packed in the bathroom, people in the kitchen, people in the living room, people in the basement, people upstairs. The whole house is packed. Anywhere people could get in to be near Jesus, every square inch of this home is maxed out. And I shared with you last week, and this is important, look what Jesus is doing while he was preaching God's Word to them. I shared with you last week It is the signs and wonders that follow the preaching of the word. The preaching of the word is primary. It's the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. That's why I always kind of be guarded with churches who take one aspect of the gospel of the kingdom and major on it. You can say, well, we go to this church it's a healing church. Well, every church should be a healing church. Well, we go to a church that's a deliverance church. Well, here's the problem. If you focus on on the signs and one aspect of Jesus' ministry to ignoring the others, or let me just say this quickly, we go to a celebration salvation church. We preach salvation through Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. But you better not be an only salvation church. You better preach the gospel of the kingdom because we showed last week every time Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom, he demonstrated the gospel. Oppressed people got set free. Healed people got, or Sick people got healed. Lost people got found. And they didn't just talk about it. He demonstrated it. Let's not be the church that just tells Bible stories about Jesus. We're not sharing the gospel if we never give a supernatural God the power to be a supernatural God or the opportunity to demonstrate his goodness, which is what the gospel is all about. I mean, you know, church gets really boring when you just talk about this stuff. And I gave you an invitation last week. I hope you all felt it. You ready for this? Who gets to do the stuff? Yes. Because here's the deal. When Jesus modeled his ministry for us, every single commission in the Bible, Jesus commissions us with the same exact ministry. Now, listen to me. This should blow our minds because I'll just speak for myself. Am I experiencing the fullness of that ministry through my life and ministry right now? No, I am not. In other words, here's a question Is there more of Jesus to experience? Let me ask it this way Does a finite being have room to grow and experience more of an infinite being? <laughs> Infinitely more growth. That's why anybody who feels like they've arrived in the gospel has a problem. Because you're pursuing an infinite God and you're finite. So, trust me, there's plenty of room for transformation. Now, that's the good news. Here's the bad news Jesus expects you to set people free. I say bad news because it's really good news, but for some people, it's like a stretch. (laughs) No, I just come to church. I don't really want to do this stuff. We're preaching from the Bible, this is not opinion. Jesus, I want you to feel the weight of this because this will spur you on to growth. Jesus expects you to share the good news of the gospel of the kingdom with your mouth in your own way. You don't have to be like the person next to you. With your mouth in your own way. When things manifest, somebody is oppressed, somebody is sick, he expects you to be his hands and his feet. What does that mean? You lay hands on people and you pray for them to be healed. Well, pastor, I just don't know. You know, is that really what God wants? You never have to ask that question. We already asked that question in Mark 1, and Jesus already answered it. A leper, Lord, if you're willing. Jesus said, I'm willing. Isn't this great? Now, please hear me. I understand life's complex, and we're living in a fallen world, and the kingdom has come, but the fullness is still to come, and there's, there's lots of stuff in here that makes life messy. But here's where I start with healing. If somebody calls me up and says, will you pray for my brother, my sister, my uncle, my aunt, one of you comes up for prayer for healing, we're not going to go, you know what, I don't really know if it's God's will for us to pray for you today. Because Jesus has already expressed the default of his heart. Out of compassion for people, he said, I am willing. That's why I don't ever pray over somebody, Lord, would you please heal this person, if it be thy will. I don't ever pray that because Jesus already expressed his will. Now, Pastor, how come everybody doesn't always get healed? I don't always understand that. We live in a realm of some mystery. But I do know this. I don't have to ever question the intention and the goodness and the kindness and the compassion of the heart of Jesus over you. Now, does that mean you get healed instantly? Sometimes, yes. Is it sometimes a process? Yes. Is it sometimes with doctors? Yes. Is it sometimes you get healed because you die and you go to to a place where you're never going to be sick again? Yes, 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 yes. But I'll tell you this. You should have faith in your heart. Every single time a broken, hurting person, you should have a broken heart where compassion flows out of you and you break the devil's power and you go after the person's life and you fight for their freedom every single time. And listen, Sunday morning and throughout the week, and when you bring Jesus to work, and somebody's sharing their brokenness, you can't heal anybody anyway. So just stick your neck out there and say, you know, I know somebody who loves you so much and who cares about you. Can I just pray for you? And preferably pray for them with tears running down your face because you're so touched with what they're going through. I can't tell you how many times i prayed for people in hospitals where it's an impossible situation, and I know it is, except for God. And just being there just crying with people and fighting with people and praying and, and, and praying that God's will would be done in their life, that the power of the kingdom of God would be released, is an awesome privilege. Now listen, I'm not satisfied with where we're at. I'm hungry for more. Every great move of God where the gospel is preached, there has been an overflow and an outpouring of God's presence and God's power. And I'm telling you, God still does it. God's wanting to do it. God's looking for a place where people will embrace the mandate and will obediently love their culture and pray for broken people and put God's heart to the test, not in an evil way, but because we already know his heart. He is a good God. He is a perfect father. And that's who we serve. So take a look here. That was a side note. That was a good message, but that wasn't what I have to preach about. Four, verse, four, verse 3, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole. How crazy is this? They start ripping the dude's roof off. They lower the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus, and it says, Jesus, seeing their faith. Isn't this beautiful? How many of you want a faith that's seen? People can see your faith by the way you live your life. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law were sitting there, and they thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. How many of you know they're dead right in their revelation? Only God can forgive sins, but they're dead wrong in their application. God is standing right in front of them, and they miss him. Good theology, bad application. How many of you know we got to guard our hearts? Jesus, verse 8, knew immediately what they were thinking, and he asked them, "Why, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier for me to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or is it easier to say, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? Both of them are things that only God can do. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man, let me just pause. That word, that phrase, Son of Man, is very important. How many you know Jesus knew exactly to whom he was speaking, and he knew how to push people's religious buttons? When he refers to himself as the Son of Man, there is a direct... Uh, 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 connection to the book of Daniel where the Messiah... The, the king that's coming is called the son of man. It is a messianic prophecy, and Jesus is calling himself by that name, son of man. He knows exactly what he's doing. He is literally pushing the buttons of all those religious people because when he uses that term for himself, he's saying, I am God. That's why I just forgave this guy's sins, and that's why if you keep provoking me, I'm going to tell the guy to get off the mat, and I'm going to really show you that you're talking to God right now. He knows exactly what he's doing. He said, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus turns to this paralyzed man, and he says, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And check out what happens. The man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked out through the stunned onlookers, and they were all amazed. And look at what happened. They started praising God. We've never seen anything like this before. Now... How could this situation cause people to hate Jesus? Well, actually, there's a lot in here. First of all, I want to be real clear. If Jesus just focused on healing sick people, he probably wouldn't have been nailed to a cross. That's right. Amen. Nobody really had a problem with sick people getting healed, except, as we'll see later, if you did it on the wrong day. But we'll get to that. Jesus, <laughs> pu- Jesus pushed that button, too. The healing of sick people would not nail Jesus to the cross. Here's what separates Jesus from every other human being. He acted as if he had the authority to forgive people's sins. The Pharisees and the religious crew were great at pointing out your sins and my sins. They were great at coming up with long lists, even additional lists that weren't even in the law, lists that they made up to make sure you wouldn't commit sins, all right? Sins that would keep you from committing the sins. They were experts on sin, but how many of you know what good is a critic or someone who simply exists around you to point the finger at how sinful you are, but who has no power to forgive you and see you transformed so that you no longer have to be a sinner again? THE PROBLEM WITH JESUS IS HE ACTUALLY WENT AFTER THE SIN, AND HE ACTED AS IF HE HAD AUTHORITY TO ADDRESS IT. THIS SEPARATES HIM FROM EVERYBODY. CAN I DO THIS JUST A LITTLE APOLOGETIC POINT HERE? BUT THIS SHOWS YOU WHY I HATE COEXIST BUMPER STICKERS. And I hate it when my kids are taught in public settings, public schools, public universities, that Jesus and Islam and Hinduism and all these world uh, religions are all basically worshiping the same God. No! Nobody has the authority to look at you and say, I forgive your sins and I set you free from the power of sin except Jesus. There's all, he's the only one. He's God. So I just walk by every time I drive in Chicago. The Holy Ghost is inside of me. I want to go on a bumper stick ripper offer competition. I have to go, no, that's not the righteousness of Jesus. Settle down, settle down, settle down. But I do speak to those bumper stickers in Jesus' name. I pray they melt on, fall off the car's bumper. (laughs) Bow. How many know sin is the disease and Jesus is the cure? And that makes religious people uncomfortable, especially Pharisees and Sadducees. Let's take a look at the next group real quickly here, starting in uh, verse 13, a crooked tax collector. We know him as Matthew. Jesus went out to the lake shore again, and he taught the crowds that were coming to him, and as he walked along, he saw Levi, Matthew, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said. So, Levi got up and followed him. Now, let's just pause here. You know about tax collectors. How many of you have watched the movie The Chosen? You've seen that one. Isn't that great? I love what they do with the character of Matthew, but much of how they have him act and the situations that are going on come right from the scriptures. Of course, the tax collectors were hated, they were viciously hated, they were social outcasts. This is interesting. They were disqualified to serve in the Jewish community as judges or even as witnesses because they were so despised and believed to be so crooked in character that you couldn't have them serve as a judge or even a witness in court. How about this one? They were so hated, they were excommunicated from the synagogue, which in, under Jewish terms meant if you, were, if you were not allowed to come to the synagogue to worship, you were basically, you had no hope. You're going to hell. You, you are facing eternal damnation. I don't know how you could be more of a social outcast than that, and as you saw in The Chosen, it wasn't just the tax collector who was an outcast and disgraced. That tax collector brought disgrace on his entire Jewish family, and Jesus invites the guy to be in his life group. I mean, I want you to feel this. Hey. Hey. I got this discipleship group happening. You want to be a part of it? What is this despised tax collector? Who, he? Everybody hates him. His dog hates him. Everybody hates him. And Jesus invites him to be a part of the group. He's, he, he leaves the tax collector booth, immediately follows Jesus. How crazy is that? And it gets worse. Look at verse 15. Later, Levi invites Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. He's throwing a party along with many tax collectors, not just a couple, many. This is a problem. And I love the way Mark says it in his gospel. And other disreputable sinners. And look at what it says next. This is so good. Parenthetically, Mark adds, and there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. <laughs> in other words, it wasn't just an isolated disreputable social outcast, sinner. There were lots of them. It wasn't just Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew invited all of his tax collector friends. And the Pharisees can't handle this. Jesus is showing up at a party full of people he shouldn't be hanging out with. They can't get their brains around this. And look at what it says next. But when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, listen to this, why does he eat with such scum? How much grosser can you be to be the epitome of holiness and righteousness? And the way you look at people who are broken and lost and not following God, far from God, trapped in sin, you look at him and you say, scum. Can you understand why the Pharisees hated Jesus? Jesus is having a scum fest. First of all, aren't you glad we were part of the scum that got invited to the party, amen? Because they're all up in arms. Jesus, hanging out with the scummy crowd. Look at all the scumbags getting together over there with Jesus. I mean, this is exactly what they were talking about. And when Jesus heard this, I love this. Now, I don't want you to miss this. This is sarcasm in its most beautiful form, all right? When Jesus heard this, he told them, oh, sorry, guys. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Only the sick people do. I have come to call not those who, notice the wording here, who think they're righteous, pushing the religious button right there, but those who know they're sinners. Yes. Amen. This is why at our starting point class, if you haven't been yet, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. I have a famous line I'd like to share with you. I didn't do this when I was younger, but I'm older now. I can get away with it, and this is what I say. We know that all of you new folks are absolutely messed up, every last one of you. We're glad you're here. Now you can join the rest of us messed up folks, and we don't have to put on pretense or facade or religious, you know, uh, facades. We can just work on loving Jesus together and loving the rest of the scum in the room together, like Jesus, and we can let the Lord transform us. That's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus was not afraid of associating with broken, sinful, lost people. In fact, ready for this? He loved them. I want to share this as well. He didn't have to become one to minister to them. In fact, there was nothing unique about becoming one that would bring him anything to offer them. This is why holiness matters, but it's a holiness that's rooted in joy, that has a smile on its face, and that loves people. Loves lost people, loves hurting people. Nobody's disqualified from coming to Jesus. Jesus loved not only, not only did he deal with sin, he loved the sinner. Second reason why they hated his guts. All right, moving along. We're just building a great case here for why everybody hated such a great guy. Let's go to the third one. It's in Mark's gospel, chapter 3 verses 1 through 6, Jesus went into the synagogue again, and he noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. Now we have a, a team that is following Jesus around with notebooks in hand, binoculars, whatever they had, and they're keeping close scrutiny on Jesus, especially on the Sabbath, To see if he healed this man's hand because they plan to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Now, can I just pause here? On the good-bad scale, is healing a guy's hand good or bad? Just checking. I just wanted to make... If you had to pause on that one, you're a Pharisee. I'm just telling you. We will pray over you. We'll cast that spirit out of you. Healing people who are broken and full of pain on the good-bad scale... All right, just checking. Because these guys are out of touch with reality. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, oh, this is great. Hey, come up and stand here right in front of everyone. I think Jesus is making a point. And then he asked this crazy awesome question to his critics. How many of you know you don't don't get in an argument or try to get into an argument with Jesus? You will lose every time. He will be so nice, but you will be left standing there literally naked as he drops the mic and walks away and shows you like, what were you thinking? Have you ever heard those people, they say something like this, oh, I've got so many questions when I get to heaven that I want to ask the Lord. Trust me, you'll forget them all. They won't be important. You, you, you will be so enamored with the beauty and glory of Jesus, uh, it won't be as important as you think. But here's the problem. Jesus turns to his critics who are trying to trap him, and he asks this amazing question. Does the law, God's law, does God's law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is it a day to save people's lives or destroy people's lives? Now, everybody should have instantly known the answer. And can I just tell you, we we run into the same thing in our culture today when we ask a progressive lefty what a woman is. They know. They just can't say it because it will ruin the agenda. Is it good to heal sick people on the Sabbath or shall we destroy them? Duh. Duh. Here's the problem. When you're silent, when you should know the answer, you, it's a self-indictment on your own wicked heart. Right. And I want you to see what happened here. Um, verse 5. First of all, in verse 4, at the end, it says they wouldn't answer him, silent. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. And then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored. How incredible. Now, let me ask you, if you watched a creative miracle happen right before your eyes, the command of Jesus, withered hand, boom. Now Again, how many of you believe Jesus still does those things today? I have not personally watched a withered hand come back to Hall, but I've heard accounts of it, and, you, and how about this? I'm jealous for one, and I'm going to keep praying for withered hands until I get one. And you should, too, because it's happened before. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And my job is to keep believing him. Now, if that happened, what would be the response? I would hope it would be like this. Joy? Amazement? Oh, my God. I'd be elbowing Kenny Huff now. Did you see that? Are you kidding? Whoa, Lord, you're awesome. I might fall on my face. Hey, hey, get the band up there again. Let's worship. Come on. Hey, how about this? Anybody else got sickness or withered hand? Run up here now. Come on, jump in the river. Let's go. Let's go. It would be a party atmosphere unless you're with religious people. And then they come up with a different agenda. It says they, at once, they were quick to act. Guys healed at once. The Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod. Now we got these holy rollers meeting with Herod. Like, what is that? Talk about scum of the earth. He would fit. And what are they doing? They're plotting how to kill the guy that just healed the man's deformed hand. This does not compute unless they're operating by a completely different spirit. And let me just tell you something. Can I encourage you, when God does something that's outside of your box, and if Jesus is God, and Jesus did it all the time, in other words, blowing our boxes up, can I encourage you when Jesus blows up your box, not to get mad and try to kill whatever just happened? Now listen, things have happened at Living Stones that blow my mind. I say stuff like this, I've never seen that before. But the fruit was that somebody got healed or somebody got set free or somebody's more in love with Jesus or somebody's come to know Christ and they've been transformed. In other words, the fruit was good, but what happened, I've never seen before. Can I just encourage you? Don't try to kill the messenger. Now, most of you would not physically try to kill me, but people don't have to kill you physically. They can kill your ministry with their mouth. Slander is a form of murder. It murders a person's reputation. When you call a church a cult because somebody fell down when somebody laid hands on them, they said, that's a church, that's a cult. No, it's not a cult. It's somebody who had a power encounter with Jesus that you've never experienced before, but you're raising your tradition just like the Pharisees above the Word of God, and you're making the Word of God of no effect because you're worshiping your tradition. When something good happens in somebody's life, for God's sakes, let's celebrate. When someone gets set free, and I've had this happen before, and and the Spirit leaves with a shriek on Sunday morning, We are like, that was weird. <laughs> yeah, it was. I'm the pastor. That was weird. Man, never had that happen before. Me either. But I look at the lady. She, her face is completely free. And the thing that was tormenting her is gone. And there might be a mess on the carpet. Well, man, are we supposed to throw up on the carpet on Sunday morning? Okay, let me ask you a stupid question. Should we get oppressed people free... Or should we worry about cleaning the carpet? Right. <laughs> see, see, here's the problem. Here's the problem. We're so great at making fun of the Pharisees until right. we look in the mirror and we realize we've become one. Yes. Yes. Because the religious spirit is such a powerful delusion because you think you're being so Holy and so right, and you've become so pharisaical. Am I speaking to the right crowd? Let me just tell you, if you follow Jesus, everybody says, oh, we wish, oh, it would be so cool to be one of Jesus' disciples. No, it wouldn't. (laughs) He was blowing your box every day. He would be pushing you out of your comfort zone every day. He was exposing what was going on in the secrets of your heart every day. And you're saying, "Oh, that would be so cool." No, you would hate it, just like you hate it now when it happens. I mean, he's actually safer at a distance. Y'all know what I'm talking about? This is tr- This is not like a a joyride on the love boat out at the sea and woo. No, this this is a battleship. We're like in war. And I want to encourage you, I'm looking out at people who have experienced either health crises that weren't immediately healed or, or how we prayed did not happen. Listen to me, don't let a spirit of disappointment stifle your spirit of faith because it didn't happen the way you hoped it would happen this time doesn't mean God doesn't want you to keep pressing in and keep believing. And listen, doesn't mean that God won't actually work through you to do something you prayed for or had prayed for earlier that you didn't see the answer. Don't be surprised when he blows that box off and you see him do something in your life and through your ministry that you thought never could happen because you chose, listen, not to be disappointed in God, but you chose to be fascinated by God. Here's why. Because he's a good God. Yeah. We just had something happen in our family with Caroline and some crazy stuff. And it, it, wasn't, cr- crazy, it wasn't crazy Caroline. It was what happened to her that was crazy. Uh, and, uh, and it looked like an opportunity for massive disappointment. But here, here's, here's a c- cool thing. We have an inside track. My father is her father. And my father is always working for the good of those who love him. Yeah. And so when God exposes a plan that you thought was a good plan and it comes crashing down, it's not for your harm. It's actually to protect you from a situation you might have walked into that would not have been good for you. So you worship. You worship. Is this making sense to anybody? Oh, man. All right. I got to wrap this up. You guys are talking too much. All right. (laughs) Let me quickly talk about who the haters are. Of course, we talked about the scribes. The scribes knew the law but could do nothing about the law. Can I just tell you, we got so many churches that preach the law, that preach the word, and do nothing to liberate the people that they're preaching to. They preach holiness, but it's a holiness that you can't live under because you actually need deliverance before you can enjoy the freedom of God. They preach a salvation and a call to righteousness that you can't live because you've never been truly converted. They preach a, a, a God that someday down the road is going to help you and deliver you from all of your problems. But the problem is you're living now. Yes. And I want to tell you the gospel deals with now, not just in the future, now. And so when Jesus is forgiving sins, how many of you know we need forgiveness of sins now? We need a Jesus that can heal us of our sin now. Amen? <laughs> And not just that we feel guilty of sin and we keep saying, oh, Lord, forgive me. Here I am again. No, that's not the kind of forgiveness we need. We need forgiveness that breaks the yoke of bondage over our lives and that causes us to live differently because we've been truly forgiven and set free. Amen? We need a Jesus who cares about broken people. One of the things, if you if you're interested, we will post it online. We're trying to. It was a very intimate gathering on Monday and Tuesday. But but one of the things that Jim shared with us was how God collects tears in a bottle. Our tears, we know that it's it's biblical, and he talked about salt losing its savor, and and the application he made was that when we don't minister out of a broken heart with tears. We are people trying to be salt and light, but we have no tears because it's not coming from a heart that has been broken by sin and full of the compassion of Jesus. We've lost our ability to cry for a broken world. Instead of loving a broken world, we sit in judgment of a broken world. We curse the broken world. We consider the people who are broken scum, and we have nothing to do with them because we feel like if we touch them, we will defile our holiness. We're even living in a sexually broken culture where we're afraid to invite sexually broken people into our church because we have a fear that somehow we will be defiled or we will be hurt or our children will be hurt by inviting a broken person into our midst. We better watch the kind of culture we're trying to create. Now, please hear me. We have safeguards in our church to protect when we know that's a situation. But can I just be honest with you? Where else does scum come to get healed if we can't come to a church? This should be a scum party every week, and we're not pointing at the scum. We are the scum that's been transformed and healed. And we should be believing that through our tears and through the superior power of the gospel, Jesus can heal any broken person. Nobody is beyond the reach. Some of us were afraid to send our kids out to work or out to school or something with public in front of it. Do you believe that the power of the Holy Spirit in your son or daughter is greater than the power of darkness in the world? Are you parenting out of fear? Are you parenting out of a spirit of faith that the power of the gospel truly sets people free? and that God's waiting to find a generation of people who've been trained and equipped and prepared. And let me just say, if you're homeschooling, private schooling, and you're instilling your kids a strong biblical review, I am a 1,000% in favor of that. But listen, at some point, they're getting launched for war. And you cannot hide them, and you cannot parent out of fear. The devil should have a headache when your kids get out of bed in the morning. Every time, every time. A living stoner gets pregnant. I hope the devil loses sleep. Oh, my gosh. That fertile church. There's more babies. There's more babies coming. No, no, no. And we're like, yes, warrior, Because, listen, I'm not living in fear. I'm living in victory, and you should live in victory, too. This is our finest hour. I got a bunch of other good stuff, but we ran out. That stinking clock It's going to kill us every time. Stand to your feet, and we're going to pray. HALLELUJAH. WE'RE GOING TO PRAY AND WE'RE GOING TO DISPLAY. AND SO IF YOU'RE HERE TODAY AND YOU'RE FEELING A THOUSAND MILES FROM GOD, FEELING LIKE YOU'RE AN OUTCAST, YOU'RE NOT. YOU BELONG. WELCOME TO THE PARTY. THIS PARTY TODAY IS FOR YOU. IF YOU'RE BROKEN, THIS party's FOR YOU. IF YOU NEED HEALING, HALLELUJAH. WELCOME TO THE PARTY. IF YOU'RE, if you're IN THE GRIPS OF SIN AND YOUR LIFE IS BEING DESTROYED RIGHT NOW, WELCOME TO THE PARTY. JESUS IS HERE. He wants to heal you. He cares for you, and we're going to allow him to touch you. So I want our ministry team to get up here. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus. And Lord, even though they hated you and misunderstood you and tried to kill you, and in fact did kill you, as you laid your life down, Lord, I thank you you're telling us. Take up the same cross. Go love people. Love them when they understand. Love them when they don't understand. Love them when they question your motives. Just love people. Just embrace people. Lord, I just pray that we would be a magnet for the brokenhearted, a magnet for those who are oppressed, a magnet for those who, God, need a miracle in their lives. Father, we are not going to shy back from the ministry Jesus modeled for us. So devil, we're just telling you right now, we've, we've had some defeats, we've been knocked down, we've had some disappointments, as everybody has. But we're not quitting, we're not shrinking back, we're not giving up, we're not folding up the tower, we're not going to become a church that just simply reads history lessons that don't apply to us today. God... Find us faithful. And, Lord, we're hungry. How many of you are hungry for a greater outpouring, a new outpouring, a fresh outpouring of the spirit of the living God? God, visit us in this place. We're not satisfied, Lord. I'm not satisfied, God. Lord, show us your glory. Show us things we've never seen before. Let us taste of the wine of heaven, God. Let us experience the full ministry of what Jesus paid for on the cross for us to walk in. God, I just pray you equip us, you anoint us in a fresh way today. And as we walk out of this sanctuary, Lord, I pray that that anointing would just drip off of us, help us to to release your presence and your power and your goodness wherever we go. We pray this all in the name of our amazing Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, the King of kings and Lord of lords, we honor you and love you, and we pray this in your mighty name, Lord. And everybody said, amen, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a shout of praise. Woo! We love you, Lord.